This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hi, this is John Parker. Today on the show, why influencers are quitting social media and what it says about the job market. Plus, some good scolding hot gossip and why gossiping could be a good thing. All right, here's my sister, B.A. Parker. Hey, everyone. I'm B.A. Parker. I'm a writer and audio producer, and I'm so excited to be the guest host here on It's Been a Minute for the month of June. And there's one thing we need to talk about before we start today's show. NPR is doing its annual survey to better understand how listeners like to spend time with podcasts. Please help us out by completing a short anonymous survey at npr.org slash podcast survey. We would really appreciate your help to support NPR's podcasts. That's npr.org slash podcast survey. Okay, now that that's done, here's something you should know about me. Like a lot of people, especially in my line of work, I'm perpetually online. Constantly lured into late night swiping on TikTok, watching baking videos to Reiki sessions to a guy who's seductively chopping wood. Same spot. All the folks behind those accounts are creating content, so much so that it's become a growing part of our economy. In fact, Reportedly, over 50 million people describe themselves as content creators or influencers. Some of those people, like Emma Chamberlain or Ricky Thompson, they're able to turn influencing into a very lucrative career. But for a lot of creators, making content alone doesn't bring in enough to pay the bills. I think if you think about the creator economy in, in a similar way uh, as you do with the gig economy, it makes a lot more sense because, you know, as we know, a lot of people are quitting their full-time jobs to go maybe drive Uber one day and have a podcast the other day. Like, there's, they're cobbling together, basically, a couple of different side careers and building, you know, the life that they want out of that. Um, whether they make money on it is a different um, question because those 15 million people are not making equivalent to a full-time salary being a being a content creator. That's another perpetually online person, Rebecca Jennings over at Vox. She covers social media platforms, influencers, and the creator economy, and she says she understands the allure. You know, if you see people having success and celebrating that success, and you see all these people's highlight reels, you know, you're going to want that too. And, and especially when, you know, they're, they're selling it to you as a way of escaping the nine to five or, you know, just being yourself and making money and getting famous. Like, who doesn't want that? I feel for kids, you know, college or high school kids who I talk to and like, all they wanted to do is be a famous influencer. And like, of course they do. Like, they're being sold this dream of like, just hanging out with their friends and filming each other and getting famous and rich. Who wouldn't want that? I think it's a very reasonable thing to want, um, but it is kind of sneaky in the way that it's so hard to actually get. And even once you do get it, it's very, very complicated. From the outside, it just sounds like an emotional MLM. <laughs> yeah, or like there's a lot of like you could call it like culty or you could call it like pyramid schemey or like. 
I mean, yeah, I find the creator economy to have like pretty strong whiffs of dystopia. So I agree. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, like the glib, the, the, the glib person inside me is like, it's about making money and getting famous and making folks jealous. But is it something like deeper than that? I mean, I think for a lot of people, it's about self-expression. It's about being able, it's having a creative outlet. Like I talk to a lot of like finance people or doctors or scientists who really get a lot of joy out of like making YouTube videos or, or making TikToks or whatever. And I totally get that, especially when your job is so opposite of that. But I think for a lot of people, it's like, you know, it's a democratizing way of like, okay, I'm, you know, I have this kind of performer brain and I'd like to put myself out there or I'd like to make art and I, you know, want to share it with the world, but I live in, you know, Indiana and I, I can't access, or I didn't go to like a fancy art school. So I don't have access to these like places where art discourse takes place. Mm -hmm. And so you can use social media as a way to, you know, like get your work seen. And I think that, is the case for so many people who go on TikTok for the first time or YouTube or Instagram, like showing their life to people that would never have seen it because they didn't have those opportunities. But you, like you and other reporters have written about influencer burnout, especially over the last couple of years. But most recently Mm -hmm. you wrote an article called The YouTubers Are Not Okay. And when did you start to notice this? There was a time in YouTube's early to middle eras where like you could make real, real money on YouTube just from like ads alone. Um, That is no longer the case by like a considerable margin. So I think like YouTube, you know, was, was part of this like kind of like subculture for a while. And now that it's become like kind of subsumed into content creation as a whole over every single platform, every creator feels like they have to be everywhere at once. It's just like the amount of work that it, that, that life demands has increased a ton because you can't just make a living off of one platform alone for the most part anymore. You have to like extend your brand as far as possible. You have to do all kinds of other like business deals in order to like stay afloat or, you know, maintain a certain lifestyle. And I think that if you look at YouTubers who have been on the platform for a really long time, like there's something in them that has to keep coming back. Like it's very rare that YouTubers just quit the platform and don't and never come back because there's this addicting kind of element of knowing exactly what your audience wants and likes and exactly when they click away. And that kind of like, like addicting stimuli, I think can just like bring people back and back again Um, regardless of whether they say they enjoy the lifestyle or not, because like the example that I use in that piece was, um, was, uh, Dan Howell, who's one half of Dan and Phil, who is a very big YouTuber. I literally couldn't write anymore until I dealt with some because I realized as long as I was putting myself out here online, I felt I couldn't change. He's a really smart guy. And he like took a pretty extensive break from YouTube and then came back with about an hour long video about why he quit and now why he's back because like he can't stay away. I think you said like, I forgot what you were in the article, like the influencer industry is like simply the logical endpoint of American individualism. <laughs> yeah. And it like, yeah, shook me, it just shook me for a second. I was like, <laughs> yeah, um, that's kind of one of my like threads throughout my reporting on the creator economy. I think it's something that I find really depressing and that's why I think it's important to talk about because, you know, creators do feel lonely and they do feel like they're in competition with literally everyone else and once you're in that, it's like 
it's just so hard to get out and it leads people to do things that they wouldn't do in normal situations. It leaves people to, you know, mine their entire life for content without realizing like, hey, maybe I should put a boundary up here. Maybe like, maybe I don't need to film, you know, my kids doing everything they do, even though they're like toddlers and can't really consent to that. Maybe I shouldn't like do this really clickbait headline that, you know, feels kind of gross, but you know, I got, I'm getting money for it because people will click on it, but I'll do that anyway. I think for me, I'm I'm always curious, like, can it ever just be fun? Can it be like, hi, I like to knit. Would you like to see me <laughs> knit? And then someone's like, you should just make hats for all these people. I want this hat right now. And they're like, no, thank you. I would just like to show you this patchwork I did and keep it moving. And I think we, we are seeing like a bit more of an understanding um, about that sort of thing where like we can't expect individual people to be Amazon like they are not going to come to your door in one in one day and give deliver exactly what you want but um but I do think there's a lot of frustration on the part of creators being like I can't deliver everything to my audience that they're asking for and they're getting frustrated with me and I'm literally one person trying to have a life and keep my mental health in check and you know yeah make good stuff yeah that is one thing I'm always curious about with not particularly on YouTube or like or like on TikTok because the like the comment section is just right there with your thumb. There is this mm-hmm. kind of like instant um, parasocial entitlement. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Of you know like, aren't my parents cute? And they're like, I demand a picture of your father when he was twenty two right now. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. And like trying to navigate that with and you know with. 30,000 followers and I can see where that can like can elevate the burnout of just like instant response I want this now why won't you give it to me now then you don't do it and then you you're kind of like this person's a jerk because they didn't do the thing that I demanded right now right and we I I think because as you know viewers as members of the public consuming other people's stuff, we have this assumption that everything is as easy as Amazon or, you know, that there needs to be some more human understanding, I think, of seeing people not as brands or as publications or as media empires, but seeing them as people. Um, And that's really hard to do over a screen. That's because I wanted to ask you this question. It's going to come off shady. And I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work through this. This means this is no, by means no shade. But it's like, why should we care? There is that yeah. impulse to be like, why should we care? I mean, especially when people are experiencing burnout from a, like across the board. Yeah. What does their struggle mean for other folks outside of content creation? Yeah, one hundred percent. I totally get. Like, that's a very fair question. Um, and I think like that like that feeling of being burnt out is kind of like it it puts the idea that like you can make a living off of doing like your passion project or whatever and getting famous and whatever I think it throws a wrench in that fantasy that they're that they themselves are the ones selling um and so I think for a lot of people who just dream of one day like being a famous youtuber and or being an instagram influencer like it might be helpful to realize that it is not as great as you might think and just to like 
enjoy what you have already. I think that's one side of it. I think that's like, a, you know, a nice side of it. I think the, the kind of pessimist in me is like, this is kind of the way the economy is going. And like, if these people are burnt out, then like, this might be happening to you soon. Not to say you're not already burnt out, but you might be burnt out more like them, <laughs> where like, you are, you consider yourself a brand, you have to, you know, vouch for yourself in every possible circumstance. I feel like the world is moving in the direction of like every person is their own little like brand empire, whatever. And that means being a one person show for everything that other people would have entire departments for. I'm (laughs) not built for that, Rebecca. I'm just not. Me neither. (laughs) I'm like, I have an English degree and I can't do math. Like, don't (laughs) like, don't make me try to figure out this contract like I can't do it I know and like obviously there's like there's so many startup companies that are popping up to be like we're helping creators do xyz like we're helping like you know we can solve all the problems that you might have and I'm like I think the problem is more fundamental than that like it's just like it's just that this system we've created is really really horrible Rebecca thank you so much Thank you so much. This was a really depressing talk, but I had fun. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Coming up, a chat with host and producer of the podcast Normal Gossip about why we all gravitate towards gossiping. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, helping people discover a world of British TV, including new original drama Time, starring Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, and Bella Ramsey, streaming at BritBox.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace. Measure your end-to-end online performance with powerful website and seller analytics. Get insights on top traffic sources, understand how your reach is growing, and more. Use code NPR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm B.A. Parker, and my next guests have the tea for you. So today's story takes us into a terrifying, messy world full of tears and kicking. Oh, God. Are you ready, Tracy, to join me as we bury ourselves in the land of children's soccer? Oh, man, I feel like this could get rough. (laughs) I think so. Let's go. Kelsey McKinney and Alex Sujong Laughlin. Hello, hello. Hello. Host and produce the podcast Normal Gossip. And here's how the show works. You all, listeners of podcasts, send them your juiciest gossip. 
They take those stories and anonymize information so you can't figure out who they are actually talking about. And then they dish and dissect those stories with guests who also love the goss. So Jason, Plato Jason, has written in his post on the Facebook group that, like, they haven't returned his Plato, right? So he's like, he's like, you know, fine, it's, like, kind of rude that you won't accept my Plato for the auction, but you could at least, like, give it back to me. Like, we worked hard to make it. And he's like, has anyone else had this problem? Like, does any, is anyone else's auction thing missing? No, Jason, make Plato out of Kelsey and Alex's podcast is in its second season, and it's a great way to take a break during the week and soak up stories that are hilarious, outrageous, and sometimes totally unbelievable. But they also start off their show by asking the same question to their featured guest, and that usually leads them to talking about the many profound ways in which gossip has shaped all of our lives. So obviously I had to turn the tables and ask them the same question rude what, no this is <laughs> what is your relationship to gossip kelsey you go first my relationship to gossip is that i grew up um very evangelical in texas and so i grew up believing that gossip was um the words of the devil and that i should never do it and also i was completely incapable of not doing it i have always been a gossip i was always like seeking information from every child on the playground. Like there's a reason I became a reporter and it is that I must know everything. Um, Now my relationship to gossip is a little weird in that people are still giving me gossip in my personal life, but they're using the caveat of like, please do not use this on the show. (laughs) And then my professional life is only gossip now. So I'm just infiltrated constantly with drama, which honestly I love. It's great. Yeah. What about you, Alex? I uh, subscribe to the that's why her hair is so big. It's full of secrets way of life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My hair is pulled back right now, but it is pretty big uh, these days. And yeah, I I think I talked about this on the podcast once. Like, I like to collect secrets, um, maybe to use, maybe not. But like, you know, I just... I'm a journalist. I'm a creative person. I'm a Scorpio. Like, I I just, you know, like to file things away. That's great because, like, okay, I I don't seek gossip, but gossip, okay. gossip comes my way. I come from a... You're lucky. I don't know. <laughs> Blessed. I don't know. Cursed. I come from a very large family. I have like, I have 48 mm. second cousins and I live far away from them. Oh, wow. But my mom calls me every day and she thinks she's giving me like family updates. And it's just gossip. It's like, who's dating mm-hmm. who? Mm-hmm. Who's like, amazing? who's being messy? And then funnily enough, like I grew up Baptist and my mom still um, mm-hmm. goes to church meetings every day. Like legit just called me yesterday to tell me the church goss. And I'm like, she's like, she went legit. Was like, girl, guess whose body they found? <laughs> oh my god! But I know that the gossip fills her day, so now the gossip mm-hmm. fills my day. I mean, what is a prayer request meeting if not just a gossip circle? Oh if you really god. think about it, Julie said nothing but a word, Kelsey. But um, whether someone is willing to admit it or not, like I don't think. I don't think anyone can like re- resist good tea. Give me something like scalding. What is your favorite piece of gossip that you've had on the show? 
Oh. Mm. Oh, God. <gasps> the one I always think about is the one, is the, a recent episode we had Tracy Clayton on, and we had some gossip about, um, uh, like, neighborhood of kids and their parents, and one parent who maybe or maybe not is hunting squirrels with a crossbow. And when we got, was it a series? I don't remember if it was a series of voicemails or an email, but when it came, it was an email. Mm -hmm. And when it came in, Alex like DM'd me and was like, have you seen this? And I was like, (laughs) no, I'm like doing other things. And she was like, you have to read it right now. And I think that that all of those episodes are always the ones that I know are going to be just bangers because it's like weird together, like just freaking out over how good a story that's been emailed us is. Yeah, you took my answer because I think that like maybe the Tracy episode is my favorite gossip story so far. Although I will say that like uh, the Strava episode from season one with uh, Josh Gondelman and the marathon runner Stolen Valor person, um, I think that's like the platonic ideal of a normal gossip story because there's like it is so petty. There is no victim to somebody claiming they ran a marathon. <laughs> and like our protagonist, like you're on her side, but also you're like, why do you care so much about catching this person? And I just think that's perfect because there are so many stories like that in the world and um, we don't get enough of them. So <laughs> people should send more of those. <laughs> Why do you think there is a tendency to gossip? Well, I think it comes from this feeling that you're not going to be heard otherwise. Um, And also probably from a desire to look out for other people. Like when I think about gossip that has been the most meaningful for me, um, it's stuff that I was told when I first moved to New York and was like first getting into the audio world. Um, where, you know, it's it's a fairly small community and people started telling me, you know, don't be in a room alone with this person or this place doesn't pay very well. And sometimes the stories that I got were stories from a friend of a friend of a friend about something that happened at a party or a get together. But those stories have really they, they really helped me navigate a world that I didn't know much about at all. Um, and allowed me to kind of protect myself as I navigated it. And I think that, like, the people who were telling me these things wanted to look out for me. They wanted to, like, give me that roadmap. But I think that that's partially why we have this desire to share this kind of information is because, you know, you see a a baby, like, 22-year-old coming up, and and they're, like, sparkly-eyed and, like, (laughs) just want to get in there and work. And you're like, okay, there are some things you need to know before you <laughs> before you jump right in. I think there's also a version of like lighter gossip that people do not to share information and not because it is actually helpful, but because it's funny mm-hmm. and because it's fun. And like there's a level of, I think, joy. I often describe it as like a fizziness that you feel in your body when you're like, just really getting into some drama with someone else, even if you don't know anything about them, right? Like it's, 
at its core, good gossip is great storytelling, right? It's like, what is Beowulf but gossip, right? (laughs) And like, that is kind of the fun of it. I think when we're talking about lighter, sillier gossip is that it's like, you're not into this because it's necessarily going to help you. You're into it because you're randomly invested in some girl and like why she's selling peacocks, right? You're like, oh no, what is happening there, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think... You know, like I think of the word gossip itself has this really kind of negative connotation to it. And I like, why do you think that is? You should take this, Kelsey. You've done the research. I think, you know, there's a lot going on here, right? On some level, there is a way to be evil with gossip, right? You can make up lies and spread them. That is demonic. It should be demonized, right? <laughs> But there's also another level to the way we talk about gossip where the word itself comes from like a word that used to be used to describe the way that women talk to each other in a birthing room. Mm. Like that is where the word gossip comes from, right? Is women talking to each other. And so there's also something interesting happening when we demonize gossip, which is that you have kind of structures of power that are telling people who are disempowered for whatever reason, please don't talk to each other. Please don't tell each other what you've heard and seen. And that kind of suppression of whisper networks and suppression of information allows them to maintain that power. So there's an interesting kind of duality in the demonization of gossip because you have both like, could you use secrets for evil? Yes. But also sometimes they want you to not share things that have happened because it could come back and hurt them. Do you ever worry that the people you talk about on the show will learn that you were talking about them we anonymize very heavily which is to say like we are changing details we're changing locations we're changing names um the goal right is that it is true it is true these stories are coming to us from the inbox and we are changing things about them to make them less identifiable so that people can't you know google things from the story and find who they are and like ruin their mentions that is not what we are aiming for Um, we have had, we've had a few people who have thought it is them. It's interesting because in some of those situations, I'm like, no, this is absolutely incorrect. But what is happening where you are that makes you think that this is about your knitting club? And then we've had other situations where it's like, people are like, maybe this is me. And I'm like, maybe it is. I don't know. Like, I literally don't know who some of these stories are. Why do you think your listeners are so um, quick to share their gossip with you all? I think people have a lot of secrets burdening them. Um, and like, I, and I think that like, because of the aforementioned stigma against gossip, uh, they, they don't have necessarily outlets to share this stuff. And, um, normal gossip is an outlet and they're like, oh my gosh, finally somebody can listen to this 12 year long drama that I, have been documenting <laughs> ever since high school and I must get it off my chest. Now is my chance. Alex always says that podcasts are a really intimate medium because people listen to them between their ears and it feels like you're with them. Mm-hmm. And one of the goals of the podcast is to make you feel like you're just kind of like eavesdropping on what we're saying. 
And I think we're kind of creating a dynamic where we're talking about some really good gossip. And if you have anything in your history or in your body that relates to that gossip, you want to like butt in, right? You Mm -hmm. want to come in and say like, hi, I have something similar to this. Mm -hmm. And we've given them the formats to tell us those things. And so they do. I, I love it. I love listening to voicemails that are 23 minutes long that came in on a Saturday night at 3 a.m. That, to me, is beautiful. That sounds so cathartic. It is. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, Alex and Kelsey are going to play your favorite game, Who Said That? We'll be right back. Support for NPR and the following message come from NYU Stern. Their executive MBA program provides the support you need to take that next great leap. Classes held one Friday, Saturday, Sunday a month in downtown D.C. Search NYU Stern EMBA in D.C. When the economic news gets to be a bit much... Listen to The Indicator from Planet Money. We're here for you, like your friends, trying to figure out all the most confusing parts. One story, one idea, every day, all in 10 minutes or less. The Indicator from Planet Money, your friendly economic sidekick. From NPR. Humans are kind of overrated. Over on Shortwave, a science podcast, we're only kind of kidding. We're bringing you the wondrous world of animal science to your daily life. From queer animal love stories to songbird memories, we're showing you how critter knowledge informs human science. Listen now to Shortwave, a podcast from NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I I just started doing research. But the truth is, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Okay, so now we are moving out of gossip and into facts. (sighs) Terrifying. I'm so sorry. We're moving into things that like people out in the world said this week. We're going to play a game we call Who Said That? And here are the rules. I'll share a quote you might have heard in the news this week, and you guess who said it and what it's about. There are no buzzers. You can just yell out the answer. And of course, there are no prizes, just bragging rights. But it's still a competition, and we're forever going to judge the loser. Oh, my God. All right. You all ready? We're ready. We're ready. First quote. I am scarily excited to announce the most gayest, most funnest, most titillating queer ghost hunting show ever. And casting begins. We need to find the most incredible LGBTQ plus ghost hunters, paranormal specialists, mediums, psychics, investigators who will lead the pack on the super gay ghost hunting adventure. This is a great idea. (laughs) Oh, my God. I have no idea. I've never heard of it. I cannot wait for the show to come out. (laughs) I do have a hint. Okay. Please. (laughs) Okay. The person who said this is a vampire and a princess. Vampire and a princess. What? Is it Kristen Stewart? Alex is correct. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh, my God. Kristen Stewart is doing a queer ghost hunting show. 
Wow, I can't wait to watch my new favorite show, Queer Ghost Hunting with Kristen Stewart. Do they have t-shirts? Because I'm ready. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh god, this is Kristen Stewart. She's apparently part of a new gay ghost hunting show. She first told The New Yorker about her upcoming paranormal reality show back in November 2021. And now ghost hunters and mediums in the LGBTQ plus community can fill out a questionnaire about their experiences with the paranormal. Oh, my God. Uh, I love Kristen Stewart so much. Yes. She she got that Twilight money, and now she's like, I only do artsy films and paranormal ghost hunting for queers. I love this for her. Oh, my God. She just, yeah, she's living her best life. I'm so happy for her. (laughs) All right. On to the next quote. All right. Okay. Thank you to all my haters who think I'm bringing the organization down. Clearly, I don't. The Carolina Panthers organization is an excellent one, one that supports all people, white, black, yellow, trans, straight, etc. I will continue to inspire and help my African-American beautiful trans sisters until my last breath. Is it? Is it Cam Newton? <laughs> God. It feels that's a different kind of quote, but I would fully support not Cam Newton. Hint, a professional cheerleader. Oh, I have no idea. No idea. It's Justine Lindsay. Oh, she is the first openly trans woman to be hired as a professional cheerleader in the NFL. She was signed by the Carolina Panthers top cat. Love that. That's so great. Were were either of you cheerleaders? No, no. (laughs) Me either. We're popular enough for that. <laughs> we make podcasts as adults. That's very. <laughs> what do you think? I like like walking upstairs is still a problem. Like on the subway, I can't even consider doing oh, a yeah. split. But I, <laughs> no, God. So so far, the only person who's got a point is Alex. I just want to say <laughs> this is not surprising. Congrats, um, Alex! <laughs> thank you, thank you to Kristen Stewart. All right, okay. Final quote: You can either tell me who said it or fill in the blank. You might have heard that the first part of the fantastic, gripping new series of Stranger Things has recently been released on Netflix. It features the song "Blank," which is being given a whole new lease of life by oh, the young oh. fans. Who love the show. I love it too. Thanks very much to everyone who has supported the song. Is it is it a Kate Bush song? I don't know the name of the song. Is it Millie Bobby Brown? It's not You think Millie Bobby Brown sung the song? I don't know. I only watched season one. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> We're doing a great job. <laughs> I mean, you already got the answer. It's Kate Bush. Great. It's Kate Bush. <laughs> That's Kate Bush in a statement about her song, oh, Running Kate Up That Bush. Hill. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if, like, if like Millie Bobby Brown sang a cover of the Kate Bush song, you know. I don't know. <laughs> no. She's in Stranger Things, right? She is. Yes. <laughs> you did... That's that's fair. Um, but yeah, that's Kate Bush in a statement about her song Running Up That Hill, which has landed in the U.S. top 10 for the first time ever. Whoa. Thanks to an oh, appearance in the latest season of Stranger Things. The song was released in 1985 and peaked at number 30 on the Billboard Hot 100. 
Love that an icon like Kate is getting the attention she deserves. So happy for Kate Bush. Wow. So much great news in this segment. <laughs> yeah, this is great. <laughs> I would like to side note, please, if you're listening to Kate Bush, listen listen to Weathering Heights. It's a bop. Anyways, Alex, you won. Yeah. Congrats, Alex. Congratulations. <laughs> Care to give a speech? I want to thank uh, Kate Bush and Millie Bobby Brown <laughs> and, of course, Kristen Stewart. And, uh, yeah. That's all. <laughs> and the ghosts. And the queer ghosts. <gasps> and the queer ghosts. They deserve the biggest shout out of all. Yeah, happy pride to them. <laughs> all right, that was awesome. Thanks again to Kelsey McKinney and Alex Sujong Laughlin <laughs> on the amazing podcast, Normal Gossip. We loved having you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. <laughs> all right. This episode was produced by Barton Girdwood, Liam McBain, Chloe Weiner, and Janet Ujong Lee. Our intern is Ahayaneta Argan. They just started this week. We have that in common, and I'm so thankful that they're here. Our editors are Jessica Mendoza, Tamar Charney, and Quinn O'Toole. We had engineering support from Robert Rodriguez. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm B.A. Parker. We'll talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at betterhelp.com NPR to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom-tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top-10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.